You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Amen. Oh, what a precious privilege it is to be with you again. I want you to raise your hand if you've been here every night. You guys are seriously my best friends in the world. And I am so grateful to you for hanging in and for walking this out together. It's just been such a privilege. And even if you've just been at chapel, um, or really not just at chapel, I mean, what was like really at chapel. Isn't that gorgeous? If you haven't been back in here since Wednesday morning, you, you know, just, just the incredible beauty of, of the cross. Of, well, I want to say it this way. How beautiful is our pain when it is pressed into the flesh of Jesus? <laughs> he redeems everything. Isn't that glorious? So I'm going to rehearse with you where we've been. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about healing tonight, and, um, and then we're going to practice healing together. Um, so Monday morning, we talked about those first seven chapters of Leviticus, and we learned that the, while the sacrificial system was relentless and it never fully uh, provided relief for people. It did have the effect of uh, causing the Israelites to beat that path back to the door of the tent of meeting over and over and over again so they could never get far from the reality of who their God was and, and everything that isn't God. It caused them to have to deal with their idols and deal with their sin on a regular basis, which is an awesome thing. And that's also really the, the heart of the 12 steps of recovery. We talked about the fact that every single person who's on this side of Genesis 3 is in recovery. You are recovering from human fallenness. So if you have junk, welcome to the human race. Um, if you've got, um, if you've got uh, unresolved pain, th that's what the cross is for. God has provided a way for you. Those first two steps tell us that it really begins when we say that we have to admit that we are no longer, we, that we are powerless over our circumstances. And step two, we need a power greater than ourselves to restore us to sanity. And then Monday night was step three, where it says we, we decided to turn our will uh, um, and our circumstances over to the power of Jesus who, who can return us to, st to sanity. And we, we talked about that little story of Nadab and Abihu, those, those uh, first consecrated priests, sons of Aaron, who try to take a shortcut around the process. They brought unholy fire into the tent of meeting, but they did it in an unholy way. And um, God just wouldn't stand for it. And it teaches me that God honors the process and that we have to honor the process as well. Even when it comes to our own recovery, we've got to honor the process and humble ourselves before a holy God. And then on, uh, that was Monday night, on Tuesday night, sort of had a, a, a bridge teaching between step three and step four, which encompassed all of those uh, chapters between Leviticus 11 and Le Leviticus 15, all those weird, uh, bizarre, um, intricate rules about skin blemishes and the things you can eat and not eat and, um, and, the, and the ways you can act and people you can, you can have sex with and not have sex with. And what we discovered is that God cares what you do with your bodies. And, and that God is in the details. 
that God cares about every cell of your being. There is no part of you that is outside the reach of His grace, but there's also no part of you that is not supposed to be under His holiness. God is in the details. There's nothing in your life too small for Him, nothing that's beyond His care. Then, yesterday morning, we, we experienced the Day of Atonement, and you guys responded so powerfully. I spent some time this afternoon just reading these notes, and man, I feel your anxiety, and I feel your fear, and I feel some unresolved relationships that, are, um, that, you're, that you're having to carry around, and things like divorce that are not your fault, that you had no part in, but you're still dragging it as a weight and a burden. And I feel your porn issues. And I feel your painful, painful issues of incest. Um, siblings that slept with siblings before they knew what they were doing. And I feel your hurt. And I want to tell you that when you press those things into the flesh of Jesus, He redeems all of it. All of it. And that's what we talked about a little more deeply last night um, as we looked at the next uh, few chapters of Leviticus and those, what they call the holiness code. Um, we talked about the fact that, there's, that, that, that God hears our deepest pains. God knows. God cares. And, and we just admitted to each other last night in some really vulnerable times of prayer together that, um, that God can take anything in any brokenness you bring to Him and He can turn it around and bring it and turn it into joy. And that's what I hope happens again here tonight. I just offer myself to you as an example of what can be on the other side of brokenness. There is joy in this life. You don't have to live every, every part of it as a victim. You are not just the sum total of your past God has a future for you, and it is filled with purpose and joy. So tonight, here we are, um, ready to, be, to, to, to talk about healing. And um, I, I said I wasn't going to look at Leviticus, but I'm going to look at Leviticus for a minute just because you deserve it. You know what I'm saying? You really deserve it. Um, but, I, but the place where I'm going to land is, is Luke 9, 1 and 2. So if you have a Bible, turn it to Luke 9, 1 and 2. I've just uh, completed a study of this only to find out how inadequate my study is and how much more can be said, but there it is. Um, this, this passage, these two verses, I have been preaching them and thinking about them and praying about them for about 11 or 12 years now. The first time I ever preached these two passages, I mean, these two verses was across the street about 12 years ago. So, and I still feel like I'm just, just beginning to understand the, the breadth of God's call on our lives. So when Jesus had gathered the 12 together, he gave them power and authority. He, he gave them what he'd been modeling for them for the five verses previous. He's now transferring the call from himself to them. The commission is being transferred. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So I hear in that this fourfold commission to those who follow Jesus, cast out demons, cure disease, proclaim the kingdom, and heal the sick. 
Dennis Prager is a Jewish man. He's written extensively on the topic of life and death in the Israelite worldview. And he talks about the Egyptian preoccupation with death. Their Bible was called the Book of the Dead. Their greatest monuments were pyramids, which are basically oversized caskets. As pagans, the Egyptians were everything the kingdom of God was not. So when God brought the Israelite people up out of slavery from Egypt, he had to totally reorient their thinking. Hundreds of years, hundreds of years of wrong theology had to be dismantled. The work in the desert then was the work of learning how to live after you have lived in a culture of death for generations. So the book of Leviticus, which has to be, as we have said, the most misunderstood book in the Bible, is actually all about life. Holiness is life embodied. What we eat, what we wear, what we watch and get entertained by, who we choose for intimacy, all those rules in Leviticus that sound like they're sucking the fun out of life are actually about rejecting the culture of death imposed by the Egyptians so God's chosen people can choose life in every detail of it. And if, and if that's a fair interpretation, then Luke 9, that passage we just read in Luke 9, Jesus is paraphrasing Leviticus. When Leviticus teaches the Jews to rid their houses of every speck of yeast, maybe, just listen, maybe that is God helping his people rehearse for the days of Luke 9 when Jesus would send his followers out with power and authority to look for signs of death, signs of Egypt, signs of the anti-kingdom. And he tells them, wherever you see them, demons or disease or sickness, you cast out death and proclaim life over my people. Be foolish about it if you must. Be lavish about it if you can. You're not being sent out from this place with an eyedropper full of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me, friends. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever say that God dispenses the Holy Spirit with an eyedropper. <laughs> but find one church out of 50 that doesn't look for all the world like it only got an eyedropper full. If you find more than that, you're in another country. You're not being sent out from this place. You are not being sent out from this place with an eyedropper full of Holy Spirit so you can run or live in or work in a nonprofit. You're being sent out with power and authority to cast out demons and cure disease, proclaim the kingdom, and heal the sick. You're being sent out to claim victory over the culture of death in every day, every day, every day. We're to go out there. We call ourselves followers of Jesus. We are to go out there swimming in the Holy Spirit, claiming authority over, uh, over death, choosing life. So, when I read in my Bible how Jesus defines what it means to be a follower of Jesus, this is what I read. I read that it means that I have power and authority to cast out demons, cure diseases, proclaim the kingdom, and heal the sick. 
to frankly, while we have a few people here tonight who have come specifically for the purpose of praying over you, I want to say that you have power and authority to turn around to the person next to you, lay hands on them, and call out the demon. I mean, you can't call out the demon you think they have because, you know, they're your roommate, and I'm pretty sure he's got a demon. <laughs> my first six months of ministry, this woman comes in my office and she says, it's my first six months of ministry, period, you know. She comes in my office and she says, I'm pretty sure my husband's got a demon. Like, what makes you say that? And she starts saying stuff to me like, you know, toothpaste cap left off, <laughs> toilet lid left up, stuff in the sink at the end of the day. And I'm listening. And I said, I don't know if he has a demon. She was so aggravated with me about that. And I asked her, how long have you been married? Six months. I said, oh, I know what you've gotten. It's not a demon. <laughs> it's called the first year of marriage. You have power and authority. Whether you take it or not is up to you, but if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you have power and authority. Kingdom power and kingdom authority are gifts from God. We don't generate it on our own steam. Our power and authority to carry out supernatural ministry are given to us as gifts, and it's, it's an anointing of the Holy Spirit. Tomorrow morning, we're going to pray that everyone in this room gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to start praying tonight that there be such a move of the Holy Spirit tomorrow morning. Our call is to receive the power and authority asked, offered us by Christ Himself. And on the resurrection side of that story, that includes the Holy Spirit. And then go out as He sends to drive out the darkness and expose the kingdom of God, to drive out death. So we're going to give the world a better definition of church. We need the infilling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit because He has called you, my friends, to take power and authority over demons. He gave them power and authority to cast out demons. I had a guy come in my office one day, and he'd been part of our church for a while, and he was an alcoholic. And um, he called me late the night before, and he did a very stupid alcoholic thing. No, forgot there were boundaries. And I was mad. I was so mad. So the next morning, I called him up and I said, I want to meet you in my office. And he came in my office and he started telling me everything that, I was, that was wrong with me. And I listened for a while. And then I told him I was done with his complaining and I was going to pray over him. And I began to pray. And as I began to pray over him, the Lord just had me like, right here, focus right here. And the Lord just, it was like I, I could sense there was this demon of anger in, that was just had a, having a field day in this man's life. I don't know if he was pestered or possessed. I don't know. I just know he was an alcoholic dealing with a demon that was anger. And I began to speak directly at the anger. And I, probably not my best pastoral moment, but I was yelling at it. 
I was yelling at that thing because now I thought there's a demon in my office and I'm not letting it, you know, if he leaves, it's not going to stay. And so I was just yelling at this demon and calling it out and, you know, saying everything I could think of to say and throwing the kitchen sink at it. And I just yelled and yelled and yelled. It's really funny, side note, we just hired a a worship pastor about a week before and he had the wall right next to my, in the office right next to mine. (laughs) Later, he stuck his head and he went, everything in here okay? <laughs> but anyway, I'm yelling at that guy. I'm just yelling and yelling and yelling. Not at him, at the demon. I, I totally was on the demon, not the guy. And, I, and I, when I felt like I, I just could feel sort of like it got broken. And I was just standing there like this and I was waiting. Come at me. Just come on. Come at me. Try me. And I'm standing there like this and the guy just sinks. He didn't fall out of the chair, but his whole being just collapsed. And he was like that for a few minutes. And then he he sat back up and he said, it's gone. And he sat there for a second. He was looking at me and he said, I can't make myself be angry right now. (laughs) So I said, okay, let's pray quick and you leave. Um, so we, we prayed again. He went out to his truck. He, had, he took a nap in his truck for about an hour. And he went home. He slept for about three hours. And he never took another drink. Never took another drink. He died uh, eventually of alcohol-related cancer. But he died without a demon. So my ministry is mostly experimental. Um, but I want to really encourage you to practice. Nobody dies if you get it wrong. There's grace to cover the space between the best you can do and God's holiness. But you'll never learn if you don't practice. So practice inner healing with each other. Listen to each other. Pray with each other. I believe we have power and authority to cast out demons. Yes, I do. And I also believe the Lord longs to see his church acting as if he is a supernatural God and ours is a supernatural power. And our sentness is to the same things that called the Israelites out of Egypt. It is a call to choose life and reject death. Jesus gave his followers power and authority to cast out demons, to cure all diseases. That's the way it's worded. All diseases. And to heal the sick. So last year, about two or three years ago, I've been, I, like I said, I've been looking at these two verses in Luke chapter 9 for years. About three years ago or two years ago, I kind of made a deal with God. I don't recommend making deals with God, but it was just where I was. I'm being honest. And I made this deal with God and I said, you know, Lord, I'm no longer going to be satisfied with listening for stories of miracles that happened in Africa. I'm not going to let anybody come in my office and tell me great stories of what they've heard about happening in Africa when they personally have never laid hands on anybody and seen anybody get healed. I'm only going to be satisfied with first-person stories, either in my own life or in the life of the person sitting in front of me. I am only going to be okay with first-person stories. And so, Lord, if you don't start showing up, I'm going to run out of stories really fast. And I began to practice healing prayer again. I'd, be, I'd done it years ago. I kind of lost it. I, I started practicing healing prayer in my office again. And I got to see people, a lot of inner healings. But I was still after, 
I want to see, just to see it. Like, I want to see God heal somebody physically, you know? But inner healing, that's my gift. That's where he keeps putting me. So last year, I went to Seattle to a women's conference, and I was the speaker, and I'd, I did this thing where I practiced inner healing over the whole room, and, and it was the last thing we did in the whole weekend. Evidently, this woman got some inner healing, and she was like, like really set free from some childhood wound, and she went home, and she told her husband, I just got set free. And she was just, she, she's floating on cloud nine. It was the best thing that happened to her in a long time. A year before that, she'd had a stroke. The stroke had taken out one eye completely. The doctor said it's like a lightning bolt when it hits your eye, like a lightning bolt hitting a tree. When it hits it, it's just gone. There's no getting it back. So she was no longer able to drive on her own. She was completely dependent on other people for driving. She was getting, um, um, what do you call that when you get dizzy? What's that? Huh? Vertigo. She's getting vertigo all the time. And, um, and uh, it was just been a really hard year. So to get this inner healing was such a big, huge relief for her. Something, something positive. Just went to bed, kind of like on cloud nine. Best night's sleep she'd ever had. Woke up the next morning and all realized she could see her husband. She woke up the next morning and her eye was healed. She and her husband spent the next two hours doing all kind of eye tests, <laughs> make sure it was real. And then they came to church. They came to, they picked me up. The people who picked me up, I got in the car and the woman said, Cheryl's healed. Well, I didn't know who Cheryl was or what was going on. But so we drive there and everybody's just like, did you hear? Cheryl got healed. Cheryl got healed. And so first thing, and this is a big church, couple, you know, night, I don't know, 1,200 people on Sunday morning. You know, so, so huge crowd. And the first thing, first thing in the worship service, they get Cheryl up on stage. She tells her story and she comes off stage and she hands me that little disabled thing for your car and says, I won't be needing this anymore. So I'm telling you, if you pray for it, if you go after it, if you go after it, you'll find it. Isn't that what Jesus said? If you seek me with your whole heart, ask, seek, knock, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. I think most of the reason we don't see it is because we don't go looking for it. So we sent them out to cast out demons, cure disease, Proclaim the kingdom, which is to say, heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom. Cast out demons and proclaim the kingdom. Cure diseases and proclaim the kingdom. If you don't do the second part, the first part doesn't matter. The driving reason we call out death is so God can pour in life. So I, I'm not that great at figuring out when a person's physical illness is connected to uh, some sin, sickness, or spiritual confusion. Probably they can't tell you either. If they could identify it, they'd probably already have cured themselves. But in the absence of knowing, I subscribe to the Nike school of prayer. Just do it. Just pray. Pray for people. When I, when I pray, I remind Jesus that he told me to pray for things and that most of what doesn't happen is not because he doesn't show up, but because I don't ask. So I just pray. 
Just do it. Just pray. Pray believing. Pray. Lay hands on people tonight. Call out darkness in people tonight. Come seek your own healing tonight. And keep on praying for yourself. Keep on praying for others to be healed, to be saved, to be delivered. And even if nobody ever gets it on your watch, at least when you stand before Jesus, you will be able to remind them that you had done your part. And as Mike Pilavachi says, if you're wrong, nobody dies. If you pray and nothing obvious happens, still you've prayed. So tonight, we're going to pray for each other. That's what you came for, and so I expect you to lean in and pray. If you need prayer, there will be people ready to pray for you. And I'm going to ask those who are with, with oil, who are ready to pray for people, if you just stand where you are just for a minute. Um, so just look around. You see those people, everybody who's willing to pray. Those people um, are the ones who can pray for you if you need prayer, okay, from somebody specific. Y'all can be seated for now. Um, if you want to come and just be here at the altar, then as folks um, who are, you know, who want to pray with you, if they come by and if you want them to pray for you, they, they'll pray for you. If you want them to pass on by, just sort of grunt and, or wave <laughs> or, you know, out of my face. Um, I've, I've noticed, you know, if you just kind of put your, do like this, you look really spiritual and nobody will bother you. <laughs> We've noticed that some of you guys, you, you, really, you really are crying out for prayer, but for some reason, your life or your emotions or whatever just won't even let you get up out of your chair. If you really just can't even get up out of your chair, just make eye contact with somebody or, or Hold a hand up. We'll find you. What we want to do tonight is serve each other. This is a safe place. And we want to see Jesus come and sit down in the middle of us. The Holy Spirit to just descend. And we want to experience His healing presence tonight. So we're going to pray for each other. You're going to pray here at the altar. You're going to find someone and let them pray for you. If you know what it is you need prayer for, you're going to say so. If what you just need is somebody, I don't know. I don't have words for it. I just hurt. We'll pray. Fair enough? If you're not, if you, if you just came just to experience this, what I'm going to ask out of respect for everybody who's really hurting is that you really lean into prayer, into intercession for what's going on in the room, or into worship. Okay? Jesus. We got, I'm going to ask you to, to just do this. This worked last night really well. Just stand up right now. And just, can, just kind of move. Uh, get, out of the, get out of your chairs a little bit. Give some space. Y'all just find some places to be. Sometimes just getting up and moving a little bit helps you. Just kind of, kind of move around a little bit. It helps you take that first step. That first step. Toward, uh, toward getting the healing that you need. Jesus, I am so grateful to you for the chance to be in this room right now. So grateful. And right now, I, just, I hear the Lord saying that there are people in this room who just need to come and grab hold of the cross. Just come and 
and, and get on the other side of the altar and just grab hold of the cross. Somebody in this room needs that this, this evening. And if that's you, you've got permission. It's a safe place. You just need to grab the cross and just hold it and, and, and let your whole flesh press into the flesh of Jesus. It's there. Jesus, we know you're with us. We know that your heart is for wholeness. We know that your Holy Spirit has power to heal from the inside out. So, Father, I'm just praying right now that you would come and do a work in this room. God, God, I'm asking, I am asking you to help these people get past themselves and see what you can do, to trust what you can do, to believe what you can do, and to grab hold of what you can do for them. Fill us with healing power, Jesus, both for our own healing and for the ministry we have in this room to each other. So you're invited to come as the Spirit leads.